Welcome back to The Secret Runner, a weekly podcast in which I'll be talking to an international Ironman competitor, my secret runner, to get training tips and coaching advice for everyday runners like myself to reach their next personal best. This week we'll find out how The Secret Runner went from national triathlon podiums to becoming a European duathlon champion. Then we'll talk about my first week using a training diary and following a training plan. We've got questions from our huge, expansive and engaging audience And finally, we'll see how the secret runner has coped with their secret setback. Let's get to it. Hello, secret runner. Hello, Pete. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to have you back uh, for our third week recording. Um, So this week, let's get started with finding out a little bit more about you and what made you switch from, from triathlon to duathlon as you had a spell as a duathlete. So what was the reason for switching across to that? Um, so I was focusing on triathlon at the time and early on in the season, I decided to enter a duathlon just to get some uh, race experience in for that season. And duathlons tend to be held early on in the year, certainly in the UK. They tend to be held early, towards the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Just one thing we should just clarify for anyone listening who doesn't know what is a duathlon. It's a it's a bike sandwich where your bike is the the filling and the run is your bread. So it's a run bike run. Okay. Yeah, like triathlon, it comes in all sorts of uh, shapes and sizes. So you were doing them to get some extra training in for your triath- triathlons. Yeah, and I, I'd never done one before, and uh, the first one that I went to. I, I won it outright and I won it by some distance, much to my surprise and were very happy. It was just sort of like a regional local one. But as a bit of luck, there was a chap there who was already part of the Great Britain age group uh, duathlon team. He, he came over to me and he said, oh, have you thought about going for um, a spot on the team? And I obviously hadn't at all whatsoever. And he said, you'd have no problem. Get get yourself to one of the qualifying races. So I went home that day pretty excited, started looking into it all. But then the downside of it was that the final qualifying race of the year was the following weekend. The, after the one you just run? After the one that I just done, so what turned out what was meant to be the early part of my season, getting into things, all of a sudden then became <laughs> the big uh, the big finale or the big the big climax of my season. And at this at this point, were you uh, even thinking about any any sort of title, any sort of like European or world title? Were you just doing it because you were getting into it? I I was aware of the age group system, and I was. I was interested in doing like getting it so far as sort of like the British Championships. I think I'd maybe toyed with the idea of possibly getting onto the Great Britain team, but only from a triathlon standpoint. To me, duathlon at that point was something pretty new. And then the next thing was was um, a, a frantic sort of uh, turnaround of trying to get myself registered and into that event in time. Um, because it was literally the opposite end of the country. And uh, miraculously, I managed to find a couple of mates to drive me up there. I had a terrible night's sleep the night before because they went out on a bit of a bender. 
and they came back into the hotel room pretty pissed. Uh, <laughs> um, but all was all's well that ended well. And you qualified. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I won that race outright as well. And so, so skipping ahead, was that the year that you ended up being the European champion? No. Now, what year was that? I can't remember what year that was, but um, oh, maybe the ups and downs that you have on something like this is, oh, I mean, it's what makes it all really. But um, so I qualified, and then about a month or two afterwards, I broke my leg. Oh yeah, I do remember you being on crutches. Yeah. Um, yeah, in Germany. Ah, I tell you that that would have been for uh, Mr. MB's Dagdu. Yes, that one. Yeah, I remember that. And I was on crutches. Yeah, and then so uh, it was a bit of a road back uh, to recovery, not just from a physical point of view, but from a mental health point of view as well. So, uh, how many European Championships did you end up end up in before you managed to win? One. Yeah, there was one in Spain. Then I went to uh, World Championships over in Australia, um, and I went via New Zealand there and and managed to um, win the North Island New Zealand North Island Championships there, which was a, a strange event, and I felt like a I felt a bit guilty about that one. I've always felt a bit guilty about that one. <laughs> Why did you feel guilty? Like because you turned up out of the blue and beat the locals. <laughs> Because I, 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 so I moved to New Zealand for chasing my chasing a lady halfway around the world, basically. Uh, fortunately, that lady went on to become my wife now. Um, but uh, we, so I moved over to New Zealand because she was uh, over there at the time, um, and I was going to be there for six months, uh, which worked out perfectly because it would give me three months to train over there before the World Championships in Australia. But, and the week after I landed in Auckland was the New Zealand North Island Championships. So I'd only been there a week. I'd still pretty jet lagged. And I turned up to the New Zealand North Island Championships, which is obviously, they're all Kiwis. And the guy turns up in a GB tri suit and wins. And it wasn't until after I'd won that I kind of realised that, ah, oh, it's a I just felt really, uh, it just didn't feel quite right. (laughs) I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. No, it's probably good fun just to see someone, you know, different. Anyone on those circuits, it'll probably be good for them to see them, I I suppose. So, yeah, so ups and downs, a lot of travel. So you really chased your, your dream around the globe pretty much as far as you can go. Yeah. And to answer your question, yep, so there was Spain... Then I went over and did Australia World Championships. And then I came back after that and did Germany, um, which is where I won the European title. And then after that, I did another World Championships back over in Spain. Sounds like if, you, um, if you've if you got the commitment to, to follow it and to really go through, you've, I, I didn't realise how much you travelled, I suppose. Um, and I know I was speaking to you recently and you said the two... In Germany and Spain, I came out to where your weirdest ones and the most, like, the oddest placement. Yeah. But, you know, your New Zealand one, it sounds like they've all got a bit of a story behind them. And, and as well as, obviously, getting to race in these different places, you're 
experiencing these different cultures and finding off the beaten track is it the the yeah. old nuclear power plant and running around <laughs> Spanish industrial estates. So I guess it's not the glamorous Golden Olympic stadiums I always think of mm-hmm. when I imagine triathletes, athletes, any any running, cycling, all these big stadiums. And the places I've seen, yeah, not as, you know, I haven't been to all of your races, but um, the setting of some of them is, <laughs> and I suppose duathlon and maybe age group triathlon is a bit, a bit not cult not niche but it's not like not mainstream so but it's good you've you've seen so many different people different places different countries obviously you've got to get yourself out there which i suppose is a huge challenge which maybe we can cover in another um another podcast how a you know a self-starter yeah um, athlete can can do that but it sounds like you know that the actual event aside it's been a fantastic just like cultural and like uh learning experience definitely um definitely takes you to places that you wouldn't otherwise go to without a doubt and that goes for like yourself supporters and i know there's plenty of other people come watch me as well who who like coming for that reason because they it takes them to places that they otherwise just wouldn't go to but you definitely you definitely hold the record though for uh coming to the strangest uh locations so far well, maybe as a percentage, 100% weird ones then. Uh, I'm sure you've yeah. got other supporters who've been to more than me, including those ones. But uh, yeah, no, it's um, it sounds like an interesting journey, not just as simple as local up to a regional, up to national, up to international. Sounds like a bit more of a, a snaking journey, but sounds like you've had a huge amount of uh, fun getting there, which has paid off for all your hard work. Yeah. You, you sound disappointed. Uh, well, I, there's just so much we could talk about when it comes to it, but um, I'm sure it would get pretty boring for everyone if we carried on. So maybe we can touch on it in the future. Okay, Secret Runner. So I have some questions now that are starting to come in. So this one, which is uh, topical, relevant for us at the moment, because the rain has finally stopped in England, if no one can guess where we are, which should be pretty obvious. Um, so it's now really warm. So can you give us some tips for the warmer weather, whether it's running, cycling, swimming, just how to, I guess, exercise safely in the warmer weather, but also are there any benefits to doing it as well? Okay, so yeah, there's a couple of uh, perspectives that I could come at this from. And you're right, it is especially topical because I've just come back from a run and without giving too much away i'm i'm not in the uk and it was bloody warm so first things first is if it's something that you don't need to do it's not that you need to do it because you're training for a hot event or something like that then my first advice would be to not train in the warm weather i mean that seems like the obvious one like make sure you're hydrated and if it's too hot don't do it well no not 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 don't do it I would just say train in the mornings and the evenings when it's not so hot. Then at the other end of the scale, like myself at the moment, I'm training for a hot event. Hawaii in October for that event, I'm going to be out nine hours in heat, about 32 degrees, between 30 and 32 degrees. And uh, humidity of about, I don't know, between 60 and 75 so I need to get time in in that hot weather. So in order to do that and to do it successfully, 
you're right, you need to make sure you've got enough fluids with you. Plan your routes in advance uh, so that if you can't carry enough water with you, that you can swing by places to get water, whether that's going back past your own home or a shop or a water fountain on the street, whatever. Uh, the second is to think about your salt intake. So I take salt tablets on long training rides or long training runs and I take them during a race as well. Now that all depends on how long you're going to be running or how long you're running or cycling for. And what does that, what do they do? Um, so when you sweat, you, you're, you're losing salt. And so salt helps you absorb the water. So if you do, all you feel you do is drink lots of water. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what it's called. I think it's something like hyponatremia. And that can actually be really dangerous. Uh, if you drink too much water when exercising, you can actually have the opposite effect and you can start to dilute your blood and, and all, all sorts of problems can happen. So you need, you need to make sure that, you, that you're taking on water regularly. And if you're doing some really long uh, training sessions or races, then start to think about your salt intake. So what sort of distance do you need to consider that? Because like, I've done half marathons is the, is the most I've done. And, you know, when you run around, they offer you drinks out in the organised events and they've never offered out salt tablets. So I'm assuming that, you know, half marathon's not really anything to worry about at that point. Well, no, organisers, as far as I know, I've never done an event where they would issue uh, salt tabs. So that would be something that you'd have to carry yourself. And it, and again, it's not as much distance, it's about time. So obviously someone who runs a, a, a half marathon an hour and 10 minutes probably doesn't need to think about it quite so much. But if someone's running in a half marathon in two hours in the really hot, hot heat, okay, then okay. it might be a good idea for them to take maybe one to two salt tablets every 45 minutes. But again, before you start doing that, then I'd advise doing like a sweat test. You weigh yourself before you, say, get on the turbo trainer on your bike. And then you take note of exactly how much fluid you drink during that. And then you weigh yourself again afterwards. And then you can effect effectively calculate how much sweat you've lost. Right. And then you can tell how much from that, you can tell how much fluid you should be taking in over the course of every hour. That seems like a good starting point for at least. So to summarise it, just tips for warm weather. Obviously, if you don't need to, don't worry in the hot weather because it's harder. Yep. Uh, but if you if you do need to do it like you're doing for conditioning, you just need to balance it properly. So for my for my my example today, um, the way that I dealt with it today was I had a small bottle that I took with me. I used that I, when I finished that. I made sure that my route went past a fountain. Um, and at that point, it was so hot that I filled it up, chucked it all over myself, filled it up again, drunk a bit, filled it up again, and then set off. So take your time to actually do what you need to do. Don't think, oh, I'm in the middle of a run, shouldn't stop or anything like that. It's, um, yeah, it's a priority. Don't be afraid to chuck water over yourself or ice or anything like that, because that in a race, in an Ironman race, that's what we have. They have sponges. They have water and they have ice. And literally, as I'm running through an aid station, I'll grab water, chuck that all over me, grab some ice, shove that all down in my tri-suit. 
and then I'll grab sponges and shove them all in my um, all in and around my neck and underneath my hat, and they're soaked in water. Those sponges, and then I'll grab whatever nutrition I need from them. Oh wow! Did you stop to do that? Are you doing that on the move as you run through? Uh, on the move. Right. One one more thing, because this this is more tips than I thought. What about when you get caught when you're actually in a run and it's hot and you've got water, but you're just is this pointless? But when I'm running, I try and run in the shade, <laughs> like stick to the shady side of the road. Does it make much difference in the end? Like you have to keep crossing, moving around, but often I do it and so it's it's like, um, I don't know if it's a placebo, if it's really making that much difference to me. No, that will 100% make a difference. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Again, today on my hot run, I was running down a really long tarmac piece of road that was in the baking sunshine. And then on the way back, I found a nice uh, gravel path that was all completely covered by foliage and trees. And I noticed my my heart rate for today's run was elevated beyond normal. Now, that could be down to a number of reasons. It could be that I'm overtraining at the moment or something. It could be telling me that something else is wrong, but I don't think it was. I think it was purely down to the heat today. I haven't done a, a run in the hot heat like that for a while, and um, therefore my, my heart rate was elevated. But when I got into that shade, it dropped by about a good five to eight beats per minute, and it took me back inside into the heart rate zone that I was meant to be running at. So, yeah, that's a cracking cracking tip from you cheers Pete. yeah <laughs> the only thing that i always feel a bit stupid about is if i'm running down a road and uh the houses are like spaced as if you had 10 houses and you took five out so there's a house wide gap between them so the shadow it's casting on the floor is like 20 meters shadow 20 meters sun 20 meters, and then i run through that i'm like is this helping or not i don't know if that makes a difference <laughs> maybe i'll get too specific uh, yeah, I probably don't know the answer to that quite as specific, but I'll tell you one thing that will be doing is taking your mind off of it, and it's a nice little thing to focus on whilst you're running. Yeah. Give any sense to you. Okay, can you summarise that for us? Yep, so if you don't need to run in the heat and you don't want to, then aim for the mornings and evenings. If you're doing some really long training sessions then look into doing some sweat tests and fluid tests and think about possibly taking salt tablets. Running in the shade obviously helps um, and just don't go too hard. If you ever feel nauseous or anything like that, then it's time to pack it in. Uh, Once you go into that red line, there's no way back, especially in the heat. And plan your route so you can refill your water. Absolutely. So here we go then. So first week of your um, training plan. First of all, I'm just going to ask how you found it. Uh, well, I haven't done my long one because uh, we're doing this on Friday, so I have that to do tomorrow. But I'm looking forward to doing that. But no, it's been good. It's been fun to take it seriously. If that sounds a bit weird, but to I'll go for runs. Sometimes I go too hard. Sometimes I don't. But I've really been focusing on trying to stick with what you've given me, and filling in my sleep and my fatigue and my stress, and you know, filling all these things in and making sure I'm really thinking about the training. And I don't know if I'll still find it as as enjoyable. But but yeah, for this first week, it's been great to take it seriously. And not every step, but you know, like really focusing all the way through my running. Like, don't go too hard. This isn't this isn't a race kind of thing. And that's been good key word that you said there for me and that's focusing 
And that is the thing that I'd like you to take away from this is that we've put these different types of run into your plan and each run has a different focus. And it's that that I want you to keep in mind when you're doing each run. And it sounds like you've just said that that's what you're enjoying. So it tells me that you're doing it already. So that's great. I did have one blip with my focus on the first run. Uh, And this is five minutes in to that easy run you gave me. And uh, I got to park and it's going nicely. And I was imagining myself just, I was imagining myself running in front of me, my hand out saying, slow down, slow down, no need to rush. And then I got into the park and I heard these these footsteps behind me and I turned around I was being chased by like a toddler who was legging it after me <laughs> through the park and his parents were laughing and looking at me and I was you know it's fine I'm not going too quick I jogged along with him and then I took a turn to go down into the woods of this fork and I was like yeah you can't come with me <laughs> now he wouldn't but he wouldn't go and his 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 mum got up off the bench, started jogging along behind. So it was you know all this focus that goes into it. Then this this uh, you know this kid completely threw it off. I slowed down. I was like high five, yeah, good running. Okay, go back to your mum. So he he went back, and then I carried on jogging. Then I heard the footsteps again as I was going down to this proper arch, dark. It's not it's not <laughs> creepy, but like you don't want a kid following you into it. So I turned round and I uh, and I started. You know, I said okay, go back to your mum. Very funny. And uh, she caught up and grabbed him. And then uh, I started going the other way, you know, to change tact. Then I heard him running again. So I put my (laughs) foot down a bit and thought, right, I'll I'll just leg it a bit. And then um, put some distance, then he'll give up, go around the corner, he can't see me. It's all all done and over. So it didn't, like, last that long. But, you know, it's only a 15, sort of 20-minute run I was going from the first one. And within, like, five minutes of being into it, I was like running backwards, high-fiving the toddler, looking like totally lost yeah. track of what I was doing and then finished it by like, oh, I need to get some distance, ran, you know, only a few hundred metres and uh, and I was like, oh, no, I felt I was all wrong. I'm not supposed to be doing that and slave myself down. But it, it was fine. It wasn't too much. It was just uh, entertaining that so close to the beginning, all this focus, focus, focus stuff, like take it easy, completely got distracted and ended up, like not sprinting but legging it away from this toddler who was chasing me in the end so i love the fact it was a toddler who made you run too fast <laughs> <laughs> but no it was good though really, yeah it wasn't too yeah i got home and i thought oh, i could have gone for so much longer again so that was, that was that's good. cool nice yeah uh, all your uh, vital signs and everything look fine to me it's all early days with that anyway so we can't really see any trends or anything but it all looks good to me. We're talking um, throughout the week a bit more of a proper coaching sessions and things like that. But over these next three weeks, we we need to just it's just uh, going to progress week by week, bit by bit, and um, yeah, hopefully you'll you'll be able to bring more stories like the uh, like the creepy toddler. <laughs> One thing I did want to say on the plan and more technical is. Um... So in in the strides drill, it was you know a similar sort of warm up run, and then four to six twenty second fast runs, and I was concerned that I'd struggle to count because you wanted me to count my right foot hitting the floor each time. Watch the watch, and so you gave me a good tip, which was wait till it, you know, resets to like ten or twenty, so it's easy at seconds, so that it was a round number yeah. to count. Um, it wasn't actually too difficult to do. It, it was a it, it really wasn't hard to look at the clock, to look at my watch as I was running, and to count the steps. It wasn't as difficult as I thought. But the, I tell you what, the, the the painful part was walking back to the beginning 
because I've done a warm-up run and then I've just not nailed it but gone pretty quick and then it takes like over a minute to walk back to the start and I'm not focusing on pace but it's there on the watch when I look at the seconds and it's like 10 minutes a kilometer and I'm like oh I need to walk slightly quick so that was actually the hardest part not not the running not the counting not measuring cadence not pushing back when I was jogging but the hardest part of this week has been holding myself back so that I get to the start of those runs without uh, speed walking. I'm, I'm glad you've held yourself back and I'll give you some, I'll give you like a little carrot to dangle. You need to do, or, or why to do that. And that's because at the moment, we want you to be walking back nice and slowly. In the future, I am going to have you like skipping back and doing things like oh, that okay. to increase sort of like force force and muscle strength and things right but 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 we can't do that if you don't do this bit first so if you go ahead and skip ahead then we we have to go all the way back to the beginning again okay no that's that's good like motivation for it and like with the running it's not been too hard to get to but that's the first time i've done uh, what is the first parallel i've seen with um taekwondo because when it comes to sparring you know, for seconds, you're fully intense. You're flinging your thighs and your feet up and you're trying to jump and punch people in the face all at the same time, the adrenaline going because someone else is trying to kick or punch you. And then after like a flurry one way or the other, everyone tends to back off a little bit and take stock of it or if it's point stop, a point will score and you'll literally just stand still afterwards. So this is the first time I thought, oh, this kind of training is actually going to benefit. Not that I spar a lot, but when I come to that, that seriously large fluctuation in energy levels between almost resting and you know almost giving it like everything you've possibly got in these short bursts uh, as I was doing it afterwards I thought oh that's gonna that's gonna I should be doing more of this stuff because it's gonna help both sides cool nice one same again next week please just uh slightly increasing the duration Secret Runner, um, I'm going to take the opportunity, because I've got secret inside knowledge to your life, about your bike, uh, as opposed to your training this week. So, can you tell us what's happened to your bike? No. I um, To put it simply, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I went out and I cracked the frame. Um, what's more, it... I don't even have a great story of an epic crash uh, or battle scars to come back with. It was, I was just going out for a training ride. I was about 12k in um, and I just went to go and put a bit of power down on the pedals, chain slipped off and got completely wedged in between the chain ring and the frame. So much so that it embedded itself right into the carbon. I was devastated. Um, I didn't know what I was gonna do because of bikes are expensive um but i bit the bullet uh last week and this week i have had the tremendous pleasure of having a new bike day which arrived on i arrived oh what day are we on now friday it arrived on tuesday bloody awesome so um obviously as a well, self-funded athlete, I suppose that that must have been utterly crushing. You do this all pretty much all off your own back, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I must say, though, that I do have tremendous support from people. I'm thankful to so many people, far more than I could say thank you to here right now. But um, for, for the most part, yeah, it's, um, it is all self-funded, which wouldn't be possible without the understanding of my wife. Uh, <laughs> you know you've married the right person when, they, when they're the one suggesting, no, you should go ahead and get a new bike. Oh, we should have got married. I suggested that before she did. <laughs> well, you turned me down when I asked you, Pete. Yeah, it wasn't the time. Um, yeah, I know. You've, you've had lots of support, absolutely. But um, what's it like working your way up through the ranks from accidentally doing a triathlon and then European duathlon champion and invited to be on the British team and now you're going for World Ironman champion? But you're your own manager. Like, sure, you get support from other people, but but when your bike breaks, your your team manager doesn't go, "Oh, it's fine. We'll sort that out." Use Derek Spell or whatever. You've got to do it all yourself. You've got all uh, sure, and you've got your your wife and the support of your family. But obviously, it, it must have been crushing, just literally, when your bike was crushed underneath you. But what? How do you? Um... I wouldn't be so happy to talk about it right now. Had it not been solved to some extent. Yeah, exactly, which is why I've held on to bringing it up. But how do you, um, what do you do to get yourself through? You know, because you must have had other setbacks. This seems like your your biggest one. So how do you get yourself through them? How do you get motivated to and not just pack it in? I mean, first and foremost, the technology and the equipment is a massive part. But the most important part is yourself. So immediately once it had happened, Obviously, it had uh, ruined that training ride, so I, I hopped on a tram home, immediately just figured out when I could just pick that training session straight back up again, made a kind of like a pact or a vow to myself not to let it affect my training because of that would be all too easy for me to let it do that. I didn't need to let it affect my training. I can, I can carry on still working on my own engine and, and think about that and come to solutions, figure out what, what the options are and, and sort that problem out. The first and foremost thing, you have to, at that point, stay focused on what the goal is. And the goal is, is that I need to be fit and in the right condition for Hawaii in October. It's not that a certain bike gives you an advantage over somebody else. It's more the point that at that level, you need a certain standard of bike to be on an even even playing field. So um, I guess maybe this would help just to give um, some context because you could have just picked up any other bike and gone. But what's the difference in like the top three or the top ten times for like the finishing positions of a of your age group? Is it seconds or minutes or can it come down to that final sprint to the finish line? All of the above is the answer, really. Um, and every race is different. But I can tell you in my last race, which was in Argentina, I lost out on the podium by one second. Oh, I do remember that, yeah. That was after nine hours of racing. Yeah, nine hours worth of racing, and it can come down to one second. So, the, so having that, that kit makes a huge difference at that level because you're really talking about not much not much difference uh, again something i'd like to pick up in a future podcast and that's the equality especially when it comes to like the elitism and financial aspect inside of triathlon i think there's a lot to be discussed there some of it is a financial side of it 
Some of it is also just decision and risk. So in Argentina, a lot of people were on disc wheels. I didn't take a disc wheel with me to Argentina. If I had ridden the disc wheel, I would have gone quite comfortably more than one second faster. Is that, um, sorry, disc wheel, is that the bike that doesn't have like the spokes on it or doesn't have metal, just a solid? That's right, just a solid wheel. Um, and there, there, uh, there was a reason I didn't take it with me, and that's because if wind gets too high, sometimes they ban disc wheels outright. Right, and you would have had no choice. And so, obviously, I'm taking a whole bike and everything over there. I can't take spare sets of wheels and stuff as well. Um, so I had to make that decision in advance. It would be horrible if I was in a situation where I took my disc wheel and they banned it, and I travelled all the way to Argentina and I couldn't ride the, the race at all. So just to, to go back then, so it was obviously a huge blow to the bike itself, but it sounds like you almost split your brain in two. It's like, well, one part of me is going to deal with that when it can, but I still have to carry on training. There's many other things I can do. I guess you that's one of the advantages of being in like a multidisciplinary sport. You could do more running, do more swimming until you can get back to the bike. I could carry on cycling. I've got another bike as well, and a lovely road bike. But um, I just couldn't race on that bike. I'd be I'd be hemorrhaging minutes and minutes and minutes on that bike. So you could still do your training with it, and yeah. Um, although there's finer points to go into there about the positioning on the bike and how important it is to train in the like the triathlon and time trial position, which I couldn't do on that bike. But absolutely, yeah. To summarise it. Don't worry about the things that are outside of your control. At that point, my bike was broken. I couldn't fix it. There's no point worrying about it. Focus on what I could deal with and what I can, what I did have control over, and then consider the options and find a solution. That has a great parallel with some, uh, some like uh, CBT and like anxiety um, practices, which come up massively in the software development world. I'm not quite sure why, but when I go to conferences, it quite often comes up and. One of the things you're told is to assign worry time and you might not have to call it that, but if you've got problems in the daytime and you can't deal with them, that's fine. Don't worry about them now. Worry about them at seven, eight o'clock in the evening when like you finished all your work, you're done, you've done all your actual work, you've got home, blah, blah, blah. Use that bit of time then to have a think right now, right? I've got a problem. How, what's my plan for solving it? But you put it to the side and you, and you specifically have a slot for it. Then you can tell yourself. So I guess when you broke your bike, it's the same sort of thing like I can't fix now I'm going to get home I'll get back to training and I'll worry about another point absolutely thanks everyone for listening thank you Secret Runner thanks Pete and thank you everyone for sticking with us through to the end on this one Um, hope you come back next week and we'll do it all over again so off you go stay motivated and go share your secret My left leg's completely dead. I literally cannot feel my toes. So I'm just moving that over there. We'll see if some blood returns to that for later. Oh man, it's wobbling. It looks like a plate of jelly because there's no movement in it. It's really weird. If I if I shake my knee, my foot's just flopping around to the end. (laughs) Oh yeah, my toes just starting to curl. Lovely.